Hello and welcome to the Feminine Millionaire Show. I'm your host, Polly Alexander. I'm a success coach, healer, creative and future millionaire. If creating money and success in a spiritual and feminine and joyful way is your goal, this show is for you. Let's all rise together. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Feminine Millionaire Show. I'm really excited to have a very special guest on today's show, Bianca Barrett. Bianca is a former lifestyle writer and editor at the London Evening Standard, and she's been a freelance culture and lifestyle features writer for the last five years, writing stories for titles such as Vogue, Courier, Cosmopolitan, Refinery29, The Sunday Times, The Independent and the BBC. She's also a columnist for The Media Leader and a senior contributor to Forbes Women, where she covers women in business and issues surrounding women in the workplace. Welcome, Bianca. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on the podcast. It's great to have you here. Bianca actually wrote an amazing feature, which featured me in Forbes. We will link to that in the show notes so that you can read that all about how women can reprogram their minds for financial success. And I know that we're on the same page, that we're both passionate about empowering women and giving them a voice in the world. But before we dive into your expertise, I would love you to share, how did you get started as a writer, as a journalist? Oh, that's a great question. And it was something of a meandering journey. I can't pretend that I was somebody who, you know, I went, you know, at school, I knew I was going to be a journalist and I studied for that and prepared for that and went to university for that. No, that was not me. I always knew I wanted to do something creative, but it took me a little bit of exploration to get to the place where I figured that meant being a writer. So I actually trained at university as an actor and I did that professionally for a couple of years after uni. And I enjoyed it. And I was traveling the world with theater show, you know, getting paid to do it. So that was exciting. But I worked out relatively quickly that there felt like there was something missing there. And I think it was mostly to do with the kinds of sacrifices you have to make to be an actor if you don't have a a really strong in with somebody in the industry. And they were sacrifices I just wasn't sure I was willing to make. So whilst I was away with the theatre company, I started writing a blog just about my experiences and travelling in these different countries. And I really enjoyed that. But, you know, wasn't really thinking about it as a career option at that point. But once I'd got to that point where I was like, well, acting's not quite right, I then hit a bit of a wall and was like, well, okay, I don't think I have any other employable skills. (laughs) all I know how to do is act. So I was a bit panicky, but coming from a family of teachers, which is one of those jobs that often gets passed down in the family, a bit like being a doctor or a lawyer, I thought, well, I've worked with kids quite a lot. Maybe I could be a teacher. So I did a program that's UK-based called Teach First, and it's essentially a two-year grad scheme, and you learn on the job. So you get your teaching qualifications on the job, and it's, I would say, to put it mildly, it's a baptism of fire. (laughs) 
<laughs> you basically go in there and the front line of teaching in really challenging areas, kids with lots of challenges and difficulties. And you you just have to, you're doing all the job. You have all the responsibilities of a fully trained teacher, but you're still learning. And it was during that time that I realized well, I know this isn't the right path for me long-term. I, I don't want to be a teacher. And it's definitely the kind of job you need to want to do because it takes a lot from you. And that was when I realized I wanted to be a writer. I wasn't sure how I was going to do it though, because I didn't know anybody in the industry. And so in my second year of teaching, I started planning for it. And even if you leave the teaching profession in July, which is when in the UK, the school year ends, you get paid until the September because you have six weeks of summer holiday and you're technically still contracted to that school. So I was like, right, I'm going to have six weeks of full-time pay. It wasn't great pay, but you know, it would pay the bills <laughs> where I can do free work experience, essentially like you do when you're 16 years old. So I started writing to just random newspapers, magazines, a lot of them quite small that were London based saying, hi, you know, this is who I am. I'm a qualified teacher. I'm in my mid twenties. I want to be a journalist. Can I come and learn from you for a week or two for free? Here are some of the skills I can offer you while I'm here. And I think because I was already a professional, they were just like, oh, you want to come and do it for free? Sure. <laughs> So I, so I managed to line up six weeks of work experience and you know, what was really interesting. And I think this ties in well into the kind of manifestation mindset that I'm sure you speak to your clients about a lot and your audience are well aware of in that I was holding this vision of being a writer, but I didn't really know how I was going to get there. I just kept taking the next action and I just stayed really positive about it, despite all this kind of negativity that was coming from me from the outside. So my parents were really worried, you know, like, you want to be a writer? What does that mean? You know, who's going to pay you? How is that going to work? You know, so basically, I was like, I, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work. I'm going to do this work experience. And then when that's over, I'll do some temping, teaching temping, to pay my way. And if I can get paid for a piece of writing within a year, I'll consider that a success. So that was my bar, which was actually pretty low. And I was like, yeah, I'm happy to do that. We'll just see how it goes. And so I did this work experience. And then whilst I was doing that, I was working for this really small newspaper based in London. And they said, oh, there's a gig on at this hotel tonight. Can someone go and cover it? you know, there'll be free drinks. Obviously to me, having worked in teaching where you don't get anything for free, you pay for your own Christmas party. I was like, oh my goodness, I get to go somewhere and get free champagne. Obviously I'm really up for that. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'll go, I'll go and review this gig. And so I went to review this gig. And while I was there, I met a woman who was an editor at the Evening Standard. We just got chatting and I was you know, no expectations, just had a really nice chat with her. She was asking me what I was doing. I explained the situation to her and she just said, oh, well, I actually have a job going on the lifestyle desk at the Evening Standard. Would you be interested in applying? Wow. And obviously for me, this was 
The London Evening Standard is a is an internationally known paper. I couldn't believe that someone was saying, would you be interested in applying for this job? And obviously I said yes. And then, you know, fast forward, I went through, you know, the interviews, shared my writing with them, did a trial day, and I got the job. And just to bring it back to this kind of synchronicity manifestation that, that you talk about a lot, the job with the Evening Standard officially started the day after my contract ended with the school. Not on purpose, just pure alignment. Wow. And as I was saying, I think it's just because I knew it was what I wanted to do. I was taking action towards it, but I didn't have massive expectation of exactly how it was going to turn out. I always find the word surrender quite difficult because I think that's something quite hard to, how do you master that? You know, it's such a difficult thing to do, but I think because I just sort of was like, well, I'll just, I'll roll with the punches and see where this road takes me. It ended up working out really well in my favor. I realize that's a really long answer to your question, but the reason I think it's quite valuable, and this is something we can talk about more later, is what it's taught me is so many skills about getting your foot in the door in media, even if you don't have contacts. And obviously I was doing it as somebody wanting to become a journalist, but so much of my experience And even now when I'm still pitching to editors is relevant if you're somebody looking to get your business featured in the media. There are so many parallels to that and the skills are very similar. So yeah, it definitely taught me a lot about that and kind of making opportunities for yourself, even if you don't know people in the industry, even if you don't already have loads of contacts. So yeah, that's how I became a writer. (laughs) Amazing. I know that my listeners will absolutely love this story. We love miracle manifestation stories and stories of being in the right place at the right time. And, you know, manifesting what you desire, intentionally creating it. And I think there's also a message of hope in there that when these big media institutions or these new worlds we're entering, they can seem like closed doors or, you know, how do I even get in there? Or we can tell these stories of like, I'm just not well connected enough. I'm not from the right family. I didn't go to the right university, etc. I've heard all of these. What you've done is just shared that it's possible when something's your true desire, and you're willing to take a risk and be unattached to the outcome that miracles can happen. So thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. And I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. So fast forward now, you obviously had your career at the Evening Standard. You then went on to become a freelance journalist. What is your work about now? What are you passionate about writing about? So as you said in my introduction, I have a column at Forbes Women. And I would say that column in particular kind of embodies the core mission of the work I do as a journalist. And that is to tell stories and give space to stories from women that will inspire or console or stand by other women. So essentially the writing I do is very much focused on telling women's stories and making sure we have an equal voice in the world to men. Mm, I love that mission. 
I love that so much. So needed. We do a lot of work in women's mastermind around undoing the suppression of women and the invisibility and the difficulty to being heard and seen and financially empowered in the work. So harnessing the power of the media and the people with the audiences is so, so important. Absolutely. So let's start there. What are the benefits of getting media coverage for a brand? Now, I know that my listeners, a lot of them are spiritual entrepreneurs or healers, coaches. A lot of them are creatives, artists, musicians. I've got people in real estate, really broad audience. But if you've got like a small business or, you know, you're a service provider, like a photographer or a coach, what are the benefits of getting media coverage? Because, you know, I think sometimes people think, oh, that's for Coca-Cola or, you know, these, or <laughs> yeah. that celebrity or, you know, you can kind of think, oh, that's for someone bigger and more important than me. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my goodness. There are so many benefits mm-hmm. to getting your brand media coverage. I think one of the biggest ones that people say to me who've worked with me in this capacity and that I have seen through through the media they've got for themselves is that like, know, and trust factor that's really important for your clientele. So let me break that down. Essentially, your audience need to like, know, and trust you before they're willing to work with you or buy from you. We know this. If you're a business owner, you know this already. Media is an excellent way to kind of super speed that transition for them because often they already like, know, and trust the media brands that you have the opportunity to be featured by. So let me give you an example. If you are looking for a new mascara, say, and you're you're sort of doing a bit of research about them, you see one that, oh, that looks interesting. I like the features it says it has. There's a couple of good testimonials, really nice. Then you see another one that has all those same things, but that one has been featured in, say, Vogue, Glamour, Elle magazine. Which one are you more likely to choose? The majority of people will say it's the one that's got those as seen in media logos attached to it. The reason being that those media brands already have a legacy of trust with people and they signify high quality. So particularly, let's say, if you are looking in a kind of beauty industry, if you get associated with a magazine that itself is associated with the highest quality, most covetable beauty fashion brands in the world, your audience member is automatically going to associate you as one of those things, purely because you've been in that media brand. And this obviously doesn't just work if you've got a product-based business. This is true if you're a service provider. So if you're a coach, if you, like you said, you're in real estate, whatever it might be, if you can get your brand into various media titles, whether that be through an online piece, a print piece, a podcast, a TV interview, whatever it might be, and you start building up those media logos in your kind of as seen in section, your press section, it just makes it so much easier for your audience to quickly decide, yeah, I can trust that brand and I'm going to work with them. Because it's essentially that third party endorsement 
that you kind of can't get anywhere else because obviously you can say your brand is really great. Your friends and family can say your brand's really great and your customers, which is also really vital, can say your brand is great. But having a huge media brand that actually has nothing to do with your business, look at you as an outsider and say, yeah, I am endorsing this brand through writing about them. That gives it a whole nother level of sort of expertise and trustworthiness. And speaking on this expertise, media sort of elevates you as an expert in your field. It sort of takes your expertise to a different level if you have been featured by media brands. And when that happens, those benefits go even further beyond making it easier for your customers to buy from you. So some of the benefits I've seen from people who've worked with me or people I've written about have been that they have been offered a book deal off the back of a piece of media. They have been able to secure investment for their company off the back of the media they've received. They have been given their own media columns. You know, they have got, there's just so many different ways in which, you know, they've had these these benefits from being featured by the media. But yeah, I think a lot of it is to do with, it makes it far easier for you to sell. And it also elevates you as an expert. And those two things combined then just mean more opportunities, those book deals, those investments, those speaking gigs, whatever it might be, getting a Wikipedia page. A lot of that comes from how much media you've received, getting that blue tick on your social media channels. A lot of what they use is the media that you've received. All that stuff comes as a result of the media outreach that you're doing and the coverage that you get. Mm. I have to share a story of how I built my previous business because everything you're sharing is resonating so deeply. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so I was, for those people listening that don't know, before I became a coach and healer, I was actually a photographer. And for most of my career, I specialized in wedding photography. And this was before social media was as big as it was now. I think it kind of came in partway through my 12 years as a wedding photographer. But one thing that I sort of did quite intuitively, really, was to build relationships with the press, with Mm. the wedding press, with the editors, the writers, features editors. And in fact, when I was just right at the start, so I was working, got a corporate job three days a week to bring the money coming in whilst I was starting my photography business. And I got a grant actually to help amazingly in London. There were grants available for women to start businesses at that time, which was incredible. Got a grant, hired a brand designer, built a website. I think I'd shot one wedding at this point, got it on the website. And I remember getting a call from the editor of one of the wedding magazines at the time. And I thought it was somebody playing a joke on me. And she said, I love your work. I've seen your website. It's gorgeous. We'd love to feature your work. And she said, could you send me over some summer weddings? Well, it was the autumn and I'd only just started. (laughs) I'd only shot one. I think it was, again, a sign from the universe saying, yep, you're going in the right direction. Once I got over the shock, I realized that this was really significant. And I went on to develop a long-term relationship with that title. And then when that editor left, she passed me on to the new editor, who I also got on very well with and ended up shooting the portraits. But over time, I I was regularly featured in the press because of 
building those relationships, contributing to articles. Um, they knew they could rely on me if they wanted images or a opinion on something. And that was absolutely fundamental to my business. I didn't do really any other advertising or marketing. In the beginning, I did several wedding shows, but the press was far more powerful. And clients would say to me, oh, I keep seeing you in all the magazines. And it did exactly what you said. You know, it gave me that endorsement because of all the places I was being seen in. And it gave them a peace of mind of, you know, oh, she's really good. She's been endorsed. And I even got and had forgotten about this until you just shared. I did get offered a book deal, actually. Wow. (laughs) Which I didn't end up taking. That's a whole other story. But the opportunities came from that. And I put it all down to my focus on getting media coverage. Yeah. And I think that is such a great example for people who are particularly at the start of their businesses. As you said earlier, I think a common misconception people have is that, oh, I need to be really well established before I go for media coverage because why would somebody, why would a journalist or editor choose to feature me or my expertise if they could feature, I don't know, like Richard Branson or, you know, they they always compare themselves to the person who is sort of what they see as at the top. And they think, why would anyone want to feature me at the start of my journey or not that far into my journey if, you know, and they they come up with all these different conditions. So big ones that come up in Forbes are if I'm not a millionaire yet, you know, if I wasn't on the 30 under 30 list, all these kind of conditions they think that signify success, they put on themselves as reasons why they can't go for media coverage. And I think your story is the perfect example of what it can do and that you don't have to be super well established for you to be valuable, to be a valuable voice and expert for the media. And I think something I've shared before with my audience, and and this often is a big aha moment for people, is that particularly at the beginning of your business, you know, you realize, okay, I have to build an audience. I have to do a big push to get my business out there and for people to know about it and to to get people on my list or to do this, that and the other and get these customers or get these clients or these bookings in. And so they turn to the things that often are the things that take way more time and work. (laughs) So I see a lot of people come and say, oh, I don't have the time to go after media coverage. I don't have the money either. And yet they're spending, say, you know, 10 to 15 hours a week chasing up cold leads, you know, sort of trying to muster leads out of nowhere or putting all that time and energy into figuring out how to do advertising. Then on the other side, you have someone who's like you thinking a bit more in terms of, okay, what's benefits out versus time put in here? who might think, okay, well, what if I learn how to get myself into the media and build my own relationships? And instead of spending all that time doing this kind of advertising or chasing leads, not saying that stuff isn't relevant, but instead of putting all the time and effort into that, what if I just put a couple of hours a week into learning to do that stuff, building those relationships, and then over the course of the year, securing myself, you know, maybe 20 pieces of press, And instead of just reaching an audience of a few thousand, 
I could reach a potential audience of millions and how many of those people filter down to then become part of their audience, their mailing list, their clientele. It's just, it's a different way of thinking. And, and in my opinion, is smarter than trying to sort of do all this heavy lifting yourself of advertising and and building up an audience from from scratch. Because as I said before, if you can associate yourself with a media brand that your potential clientele already like, know, and trust, you're going to speed that relationship they have with you up as well. So it's kind of, I think it's brilliant that that you did that and you have that example to share because you exemplify there that you don't have to be have been in the industry for years and years to be of relevance to the media before you can actually start using that as a way to build your audience, your brand and your income. Yeah, yeah, I love that. What I will also touch on is that resilience, I think, is important when you're going after a big title. So when I was starting out being a wedding photographer, really at the beginning, just like, what is this world? And I remember discovering Martha Stewart Weddings Magazine in America, and it seemed so exotic. In the in the UK, we were a bit behind. Weddings were still quite traditional. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, my gosh, look at these weddings. And I was like, it's my dream to be featured in there one day. And actually, naivety helped me <laughs> because for the next nine years, once a year, I would take my best one or two weddings and I would submit them to the magazine. I would always get a no. Yeah, because actually, I didn't really know that most of the things they do are commissioned. (laughs) They rarely take something that's pitched. You know, they more collaborate from the beginning with different parties. Didn't know this. So it actually worked in my favor. So I naively, I kept visualizing, imagining, did this. And after I think it was like eight years, still hadn't been featured at all. didn't give up I was like no you know like you said when you were manifesting I just had a real feeling this was right but I wasn't attached Mm -hmm. didn't make it mean anything it didn't I just kept persisting and then they said oh we'd like to just interview you so I got on a call and they asked me some questions and just said they were writing a feature and that's all I knew a couple of months later they published a feature called the world's best wedding photographers and I was in it. Wow. I was like, but you've never featured my work. <laughs> and they still hadn't ever published one of my, any of my images, but they had seen me over the years. They'd seen yeah. my work. I was on their radar and I ended up turning out even better than I expected because then I was able to share that. And so suddenly there were only two of us in Europe named in this list so suddenly there I had been named one of the best in Europe and the world by this trusted media source, which was amazing for my business. And yeah. then they went on to start commissioning me after that. So then I would shoot weddings in collaboration with them. So they come and they art direct and I was hired for the magazine. But it happened in a different way to which I imagined. But my persistence and my resilience and building the relationship over time, I believe contributed to that result. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. I love that story. And you're right. And I think getting media for your business is a practice rather than a one time, like a one hit wonder, you know, I think because people have a particular magazine on their radar, I know like for you, because of what you were working in, Martha Stewart Weddings, for a lot of people who have a business, it is stuff like Forbes or 
entrepreneur or Inc. And so they might have that as like top of the mountain. That's the one they want to get into. But there are so many other amazing media outlets that you can get into along the way. And so, yeah, I agree that seeing it as, well, this just becomes part of the work I do on my business, part of the marketing strategy that I have, rather than being like, oh, I'm going to try this one time to pitch to somewhere, say, Martha Stewart Weddings or Forbes, it doesn't work. And then you're like, oh, well, what that tells me is that's not for me. I'm not good enough for it. You know, that's absolutely not the case. There are a million reasons why your pitch might not have been picked up at that time. You know, you could have thought, I've been trying this for years. Clearly, I'm just not good enough for them. I'm not a good fit. And in actual fact, what was going on behind the scenes is that that's just not the way they typically work with wedding photographers. And then when the time was right and they could feature you, they did. So I think, yeah, again, that's a really great example of seeing that media outreach as just a practice that you do in your business on a regular basis. It's a part of your marketing strategy. And, you know, just as you did, yes, you may be waiting a bit of time, you know, hopefully not eight years, but you could be waiting a bit of time to get that big top of the mountain feature. But, oh my gosh, you're probably going to get some insane other features along the way as well. And actually what will happen, which always does, is that you get that top of the mountain feature. It's great. And then you're like, okay, now where am I going to go? What's my next big one? You know, so the goals just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And it is just great to see it as that ongoing practice as opposed to try it once, feel like it didn't work, think I'm a failure and don't try again. Such important advice. What is the process of getting featured in a magazine or newspaper or online publication? Yeah, so this is something that I teach a lot on. And the process is pretty simple, really, the one that I teach, because a bit as as you've exemplified here, it's typically that, you know, most people think you start by sending the pitch. That's the start of the process. In an actual fact, sending the pitch should be the last part of your process as opposed to the first. So the best way to do it, I say, is first of all, to be thinking about what do I have to share? What expertise do I have to share that? And this is the most important part, has value to my target audience. So I think people often get really caught up in this idea of, oh, if I'm going to pitch a big magazine, something like Forbes, for example, I've just got to share my impressive life story. And they think their life story on its own is the pitch. I will tell you 99% of the time, your life story alone is not a story that's going to be featured. And that's not because your life story is not interesting enough it's not valuable. It's purely because the journalist needs you to be able to metabolize that, your experience and say, okay, now what could I teach somebody else about this? That's the key bit that most people forget. They just think I've got to appear super impressive. And this isn't just people pitching their own businesses. This is PRs as well. The amount of pitches I receive that are just like, hey, I'm this businesswoman or hey, I have a client who's this businesswoman and this is what she's done in her business. Do you want to feature her? (laughs) It's like, um, well, what's the story here? 
you know, they forget about the audience. So to bring it back to this process, the first thing I say is thinking about what do I have to share that's going to be valuable to an audience? What are they going to be able to take away from this? Then once you've done that, you can start thinking, well, which media titles am I going to be pitching to that have these audiences that are relevant for my business? So obviously, if you have a business in life coaching, you're probably not going to be pitching to be in a wedding photography magazine. (laughs) You know, you want to think about what's what titles are aligned with what I'm doing and therefore will have an audience of the kind of people who would then become my audience. So thinking about which titles you want to pitch to. And then you're thinking, okay, at these titles, which of these journalists are the people who write about the subjects that I can talk about? And you want to do your research on those magazines, those audiences, the journalists, the way they typically write, what they write about, how they work with experts. So for example, if you have a journalist, if you, you know, you want to pitch to a journalist an idea and you go and pitch them a, a Q&A with you, but they never write their pieces as Q&As, you're not going to get a yes because you've not done the research. You need to think, okay, well, this journalist uses experts by adding their quotes into a piece that's from that journalist perspective. Or this journalist uses an expert story and then gives some takeaway tips that their audience can use. You want to look at the way that journalist is working with experts and make sure your picture aligns with that. And then when you've done that, you want to think about getting on that journalist radar. So this is what you mentioned, Polly, you know, about building up a bit of a network because what I always say to people is you want your pitch to be an email that the journalist is either going to expect or at least recognize. So your name in their inbox should be one they're expecting to see or they recognize because you've had some kind of interaction with them already on social media. And I get into a lot of depth about how to go about that in the work that I do on this topic. But basically, you want to kind of start building an authentic relationship with them via their social platforms. And when you've done that, then you've got the intel you need about their audience, the kind of writing that they do, the way they write their pieces. And you can then align your expertise and create some kind of value for their audience that will turn it into a really well-crafted pitch that they are expecting to receive. And that, to me, is the biggest process. And that's kind of just getting you up to the point of getting a yes. And then obviously after that, there's a whole other process of doing the interview, sharing whatever assets they need, and then how you can really market that piece of coverage to get the most out of it for your own business purposes after. But yeah, that to me is the journey from not having that media feature to getting a yes for your pitch. Mm, Amazing. Thank you for sharing in such detail what's important and just really opening up, like demystifying. How does this work? Yeah. And I think that's it. There's just so much unnecessary mystery around it. And people have a misconception that you always have to have a PR to get yourself into the media and that journalists will think you're not good enough if it's you contacting them as opposed to your PR doing it, which is absolutely not the case at all. 
And I am really on a mission to kind of demystify getting into the media and make it more accessible for everyone, even if they're not in a position to hire a PR yet, or it's just not something they want to invest in at that time, because PR is a lot of money, you know, it's a big investment. So I think, well, why should getting into the media only be reserved for the people who are paying for PR? I don't believe that should be the case. And I really want to see particularly more business women get their voices and their businesses and their expertise into the media. Yeah, because I think it should be something available to everybody. Yeah, 100%. And we're going to come on to what you created to help more women get their voices in the media in a moment. Just very quickly, three things that you're looking for in a story as a journalist, the titles you write for. Absolutely. So I think this can be applied to any journalist that you're pitching to, but it's definitely something that I'm looking for as well. The first thing is that value element that I spoke about. So what are you offering from your expertise or your story that is going to be valuable for the audience? So what are they going to take away from this piece that they can either action in their own businesses or that's going to help them feel better about something in their lives. So value can come in lots of ways. It can be advice. It can be entertainment. It can be enlightenment. There's lots of different ways you can provide value in a piece. But if you're a business owner, it's typically going to be some form of advice for other business owners or people who want to pay you for the expertise you have. So value is the number one. The second one is a really strong answer to the why now question. So why do we need to be writing about this now? Why is this relevant now? If you can provide a strong answer to that for the journalist, it means they can provide a strong answer to their editor who is going to ask them, well, why are we writing this now as opposed to something else? It's basically giving them a really clear reason that this story should be prioritized over something else they might be thinking about writing. So you've got value, why now? And then the third one is, and this is a big one, personalization. So the reason I told you about the process that you should be taking to get to the point where you're going to pitch involved a lot of looking at journalists, looking at the audiences, doing research on the titles, doing research on the way those journalists write their pieces, is because all that intel is going to help you personalize your pitch to that particular journalist so that it's a really good fit for their audience and their beat. You would be amazed how many people do not personalize their pitches. So they have this mindset of, I'll just send out 100 of the same pitch to to 100 different journalists. Surely one of them is going to stick. And actually, they'd be far better off sending out five really personalized, high quality pitches to five different journalists, and they're far more likely to get a yes. So quality over quantity is a big deal here. And personalization is really key because if you look at any kind of statistics, the number one bugbear that journalists have with pitches is the lack of personalization for their audience and for their way of writing and their channel. So yeah, just to recap, you've got value, answer the why now question and personalization. There, I would say the top three things I want to see in a pitch 
and that every other journalist I know also wants to see in a pitch. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you. That's so valuable. I know everyone listening will be taking notes furtively (laughs) as they're listening to this. Thank you for being so generous with your advice. So let's talk about how people can go deeper with you. You have a wealth of expertise. We barely scratched the surface here today, but I'm going to have to wrap up the interview. So tell us about The Scoop and what you've created. Absolutely. So The Scoop is my membership program that's relaunching in March. And it is essentially inside secrets from journalists and editors on how you can get you and your brand into the media. So basically, it's teaching you how to get your own media coverage, how to do your own PR. And the reason I wanted to do this is because it's a really affordable option for people just starting on this journey. And it's going to give you the tools that you can do this all yourself, or you can get your assistant to help you do this, whatever your situation might be. And then even if you reach a point where you want to hire a PR to do it for you, you're going to be in so much of a stronger position because you have knowledge. That means you will always be able to build your own network of journalists and editors that are in your contact book that they can never take away from you, even if you stop working with them. And you will be able to make a much more informed decision about which PR is going to be the best fit for you and your needs for your business. This is going to teach you everything you need to know about getting that media coverage so you can build your income more easily, you can build your audience more easily, become that expert thought leader that you want to be and get all those opportunities that I mentioned at the beginning that come off the back of getting media. So what that kind of looks like is it's a yearly membership. And inside that, there will be guides where I go into super major kind of detail on different topics within getting yourself into the media, a bit like we've done here today on a kind of surface level. There will also be mini masterclasses. There will be short courses in there. There'll be templates in there. There'll be advice columns, a database of journalists that you can contact. All sorts of different things are included in this membership. And basically what we want to happen is that when you're in it, you are going to be able to get yourself that coverage. And you know, so far I have members who have been with me for over a year now and I've worked with them in various ways, either one-to-one or through the scoop or through workshops. And some of the stuff they've managed to get off the back of it is insane. (laughs) Big thing that happened recently was somebody who was a member of the scoop. Actually, they pitched to be an entrepreneur and the editor of that section contacted them and asked them if they wanted their own column. (laughs) So rather than just be featured, they got their own column. As I said, people have been offered book deals. There have been people who've received investment. People have been featured in everything from Forbes to Women's Health to the BBC to Vogue, all sorts of different places, all without hiring a PR to do it for them. And yeah, I'm a big believer, as I said, that this should be available to everyone because just as an add in here, research shows that only 4% of media coverage actively dismantles negative gender stereotypes for women. So there's only 4% of media coverage out there right now where women are shown in a positive light. 
That's crazy. Yeah. And also less than 28% of expert sources used in the media are women as well. So I'm on a really big mission here to make it accessible for everyone. And the easiest way to do this is to teach them the tools they need to go and get that coverage themselves. It's a bit like, what's that saying? Give someone a fish, they'll have a meal. Give someone a fishing rod, like teach him how to fish and he can feed himself forever. It's like teach someone how to do this for themselves and they have that skill set with them forever. And even if they never work with a PR, they can teach their assistant how to do it on their behalf or they can just do it themselves. And oh my gosh, it's just, it's such an essential skill for business. And I think the most effective marketing tool there is out there. And yeah, I'm really excited to welcome more people into it in the next few weeks. Amazing. Amazing. So you can follow Bianca and the Scoop on Instagram. The details are in the show notes. And she also has a free gift, the five golden rules of pitching. Yes. So I'm sharing my five golden rules for pitching to journalists. So basically you can read that and get that info and start honing that pitch. And even before you join the Scoop, you can start doing that media outreach and see results. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much for being a fantastic guest on the show. I just think, aside from the the powerful insight into how the media works and how to get started with securing coverage, I think what you've really done today is to give our listeners hope. Hope that it doesn't matter if you're not this huge brand and you don't have a big budget and you can't hire PR. Hope that you can actually secure coverage and that it can make a profound difference to your business. So thank you so much for bringing in that hope and the wonderful stories of manifestation as well. Oh, it's been my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Polly. I've loved this. Thank you. Bye for now. What a great interview. I know I learned a lot and I hope you did too. I'm sure you've been scribbling away in your journal during today's episode. So many great takeaways. Make sure you go follow Bianca over on Instagram. So I've been working on something behind the scenes. It is a special live 90 minute masterclass for women business owners. As you know, I'm passionate about women scaling their businesses, creating more abundance in their own lives, more freedom, but also more impact in the world through sharing their gifts in an even bigger way. And so I'm gonna be distilling my knowledge that I have learned firsthand and that I have used to support many female entrepreneurs on how you scale your business and double your income. And I'm going to be pouring it into this special live 90 minute masterclass where I'll be sharing the behind the scenes work and transformation that's enabled me and many of my clients to double and triple their income. You will understand and learn what you need to focus on to attract more clients, make more money and grow your business without burning out or losing your freedom. And the session will include live energy activations to step into your highest potential and also to clear blocks around being seen as a leader and being more visible. Because in the theme of today's episode, becoming more visible and really owning 
your status as an expert is going to be essential to scaling your income. And that has to be an embodied inside transformation. So I'm going to be sharing part business strategy, part energetics in this special workshop with a small intimate group of you. I'm going to be on live, but there is a replay available. The masterclass is $97. I know lots of you have been asking for accessible ways to work with me. So I listened and here it is. This is for you if you already have a business, or you already worked with clients and you're ready to scale to six and multi six figures and you want to understand how to do it and what you need to focus on. You can find the link to sign up in the show notes. It's happening March the 14th and I can't wait to see you there. Have a wildly abundant week and see you again next week.